Melissa Kopp remembers the moment when she realized the coronavirus pandemic had permanently changed her relationship with cold, hard cash. Her local Starbucks had just opened up again, and she couldn't wait to get her fix. So happy. And I was sitting in the drive-thru, and there was a car in front of me, and this gentleman was paying with cash. And I remember watching him hand the cash to the barista, and I watched her grab it from his hand. And for the first time ever, I got chills and was completely disgusted by the whole exchange. And I'm thinking in my head, I never would have felt that way if it weren't for COVID. Melissa isn't alone in feeling squeamish about paper money and the viral pathogens that may be hitching a ride on it. All across the world, people are using way less cash in the age of COVID. But the pandemic only accelerated a trend that started long before. Melissa knows all about that. She's the director of business development for FIS, a company that's a global leader in financial services technology. But even for Melissa, that feeling she felt in line at Starbucks, that raw aversion to cash, that was new. And it made her realize that changes we're making in the way we pay might be here to stay. And again, I've been in payments all my life. And that was the first time it really clicked with me, man, I don't want anything to do with that anymore. This is Financial Futures, the podcast that charts the frontiers of fintech innovation, where we explore the trends that are already transforming financial institutions and the technologies we'll need to prosper in a brave new payment landscape. I'm your host, Erin Dangler. And today on the show, we ask, does the COVID pandemic spell the death of cash? What would a cashless society look like? And do we really want to live in one? And how can financial institutions hold on to a new generation of customers that craves the convenience of a cash-free lifestyle? FIS's Melissa Kopp joins us today to help us answer these questions and more. Welcome, Melissa. How are you doing today? I'm well, thank you. Thank you for having me. What trends were we seeing in cash and payments before COVID shut everything down? Well, cash was king, right? Um, I think pre-COVID, most of us um, across all age demographics carried um, some form factor of cash in our wallets, right? Certainly weren't afraid to transact with it and hand it over to the barista at Starbucks when we were buying our lattes. Um, And the change was all over the place. Now it's it's seemingly disappearing um, post-COVID. So it's led to pretty unprecedented concerns about viral transmission via cash. So things we were previously not scared about, um, now we think twice about. Definitely. We were seeing a move towards digitalization prior to COVID, right? A little bit? Very slowly, very slowly, right? And um, no surprise here that in the United States that we were behind. Uh, We were behind most other countries um, in terms of our adoption of contactless payments, mobile payments, um, you know, even transacting um, within e-commerce, right? We were getting there, but like myself, found myself pre-COVID saying, well, it's not much quicker for me to pay with my phone than it is to pull out my card. Now in my brain, I'm thinking it's much cleaner and more hygienic for me to tap my card um, than, than to pay with cash or to be able to pay with my phone. So we've, we've had a mind shift change here, which has really escalated um, our transition to contactless payments away from cash. Signage is appearing in most places now. Pre-COVID, when you walked into a retailer or a merchant, 
you didn't really see much in the way of um, signs that said, we prefer you pay with um, your card or we we're no longer accepting cash in some places, right? We didn't see those types of things. So the average consumer now has been presented with it right in front of them. And now they're thinking about, well, I didn't even know these options were available to me to transact. And in fact, um, Visa has reported that um, there's a 2,060% increase in the conversation about contactless alone. That is staggering. So that means that we're all hearing about it and seeing it when we are venturing out, if we're venturing out. So, Melissa, it's interesting that you're talking about seeing signage where cash is not allowed. It, It seems counterintuitive. Growing up, I remember getting penalized for paying with a card. They wanted cash because they didn't have to pay any any fees on it. Yeah, yeah. So it's 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 changed completely from when we were growing up, right? And I think that um, retailers are also seeing that I think the, the thought behind um, the fees and we'd rather have cash of a card is, you know, the retailers didn't want to have the interchange implications that come along with accepting payments and more specific payments by a card and more specifically uh, low dollar transactions, right? But now the volume that they can see coming in is far outweighing that. And now keeping up with the demand that I'm not carrying cash anymore in my wallet, I don't want to actually physically interact with you and hand you cash is really driving change on both sides of the counter. So as consumers, we we are changing our behaviors. And now what's happening is the retail environment is catching up. So if we were to rewind just, let's just say a year before COVID, uh, many financial institutions probably would have stated, you know, I'm not going to invest in contactless capabilities because the merchants in my local hometown don't accept it. Why would I make that step, right? So now what we're seeing is that the retail environment is catching up. They know that um, they've got a lot of work to do to make sure that they are um, activating acceptance on their side. So it's all coming together, and I think we've advanced years in a matter of months here as a result of COVID. Yes. I am getting less reluctant, if I can use sort of a double negative there, (laughs) in using contactless payment myself. So now we've touched on this a little bit already about how coronavirus lockdown measures have affected cash use. You know, we've talked about, you know, people not wanting to touch cash, both consumers and retailers. Are there any other ways that coronavirus has affected cash use? I think from our perspective, if you think about maybe ways in which we used to pay folks back for lunches, I think coronavirus has now gotten folks to think more about uh, P2P solutions. So let's talk about Venmo or Zelle or Square Cash, um, any way in which you can electronically pay some folks back for lunch. And if you're not venturing out for lunch with friends, um, P2P has begun to develop new use cases. And by that, I mean, um, think about uh, maybe some elderly neighbors that you have who aren't able to get out right now or don't want to get out due to the virus. P2P has really developed use cases for being able to pay folks back who can go out and do your shopping for you. So we're starting to see a lot of new um, use cases around P2P evolve. And I think that COVID driving, you know, the um, disappearance of cash in those cases is having a, a profound effect. A lot of that disappearing cash might have vanished for good. 
Melissa says changes in consumer behavior are likely to outlast the pandemic. Around 30% of consumers have started using contactless payments since COVID, and about 70% of them say they're going to continue. And what happens when you get into that um, new behavior and you realize um, how much easier and cleaner it is to use um, and more, you know, and, and it's quicker too, right? If you think about it, you know, that that's likely a behavior that's going to stick. Now, we have a ways to go here in the United States to clean up the actual tr- contactless experience. Um, just the other day, I was out using my contactless card and I tapped it. And the POS device asked me to confirm if the amount was correct. So I had to push a button. And then it asked me to confirm if I wanted a receipt and I had to push a button. And in some cases, it asked me to put in my PIN. And I'm like, this is completely pointless. Why? The point of tapping a card is because I don't want to touch your terminal, right? COVID has really highlighted our deficiencies here in the States, right? And it's, it's different from merchant to merchant. But the good news is those things are easily fixed. Uh, we're just now on a path now of understanding the, the various friction points that we need to clean up. It was really interesting for me in, in researching um, prior to this interview and just seeing how far behind the United States is. Um, but as we're talking about moving to contactless payment and possibly a cashless society, what, what are the benefits? Are there benefits to living in a cashless society? Yeah. Um, so think about um, helping to fight, uh, you know, crimes and, and uh, tax evasion. And then think about if we're in a cashless society, how um, biometrics, whether we're paying with the use of our face um, or with our fingerprint, uh, how that can make digital payments safer than cash. And digital payments cost a lot less to process than their cash equivalents. And some might think, well, that doesn't make any sense. But if you think about the cost for a merchant or retailer to handle cash payments, you you have to start thinking about the work that is connected to cash, the work to count the bills, to return the change. And there are also fees for cash and transit service companies. So the, um, the armored car services, right? Um, and insurance companies have higher fees if a store handles a lot of cash because of the risk of robberies, right? So there are a lot of reasons why um, we should believe that, um, you know, there are benefits to a cashless society. But along with those benefits, Melissa says completely transforming to a cash-free society brings some difficult challenges and serious risks. There's data security concerns, really privacy concerns. Infrastructure is a big piece, and especially here in the States, right? Our our financial infrastructure here, um, there's not ubiquitous support for um, digital payment functionality. Um, We're not as advanced as as the rest of the world. Um, So there's a lot of um, infrastructure investment and um, integration that our financial institutions and our merchants need to invest in to really get to where we have a stable ecosystem here for a true cashless society. I think the bigger problem is the disappearance of banks where businesses can deposit bills and consumers can um, go to the ATM to, to get cash out, right? So if we are trending towards a true cashless society, but we still have the need for cash, what does that landscape look like when folks are going out and who actually need to you know, get access to cash? So it's a balancing act, right? 
There are already some places in the world where these questions about balancing the benefits and risks of a cashless society aren't merely hypothetical. Countries like China, the UK, and Australia have made much more progress toward eliminating paper currency than the United States. But one country that's head and shoulders above the rest is Sweden, where card, not cash, is king. So Sweden is among uh, the countries where cash is used the least. You nailed it. And at the start of 2018, um, just 1% of Sweden's GDP was circulating in cash, um, really compared to 11% in the Eurozone and 8% in, in the United States. So they believe, too, to my earlier point, that it is a lot more costly uh, for the merchants and retailers to handle cash for all the reasons that I mentioned before. And, you know, while the, the country's businesses like the security and, and ease of logistics and operating cash-free, Swedish consumers really enjoy the convenience. And, you know, they use their, their bank cards when they're buying food or clothes or, or tickets to the movies. And they also use a payment app um, called Swish for transferring money to friends. So they, they launched that in 2012, um, and it's become their most popular payments app. Um, and it's backed by by the main banks and, and it's used by about two-thirds of the population. They hate cash and they think it's truly dirty. Um, and they've done some some very, um, I mean, in my mind, kind of Star Trekky things in Sweden. <laughs> and it has went so far as to enable customers to purchase products um, using a microchip that they inserted into their hands under the skin. No lie. Um, so oh, I missed about the, that. I did not hear about that. Okay. Yeah, me, I, yeah, it's, it's craziness. So they, um, I say that and here, well, that'll be here before we know it. We're already kind of doing that with our pets, right? And I think we've done that with our children too, in some cases, um, you know, to be able to, to track uh, movements and activities and things. But around uh, 5,000 Swedes have bought the, they're called biohacks chips. Um, and have enabled them. So they've got them, you know, in their hands, under their skin. They can pay for travel and snacks um, at the gym's vending machine or even, you know, gain access into an office with, with just a wave of their hand. So um, to say that they're far ahead of us is an understatement. What do you think the difference is? I mean, how has the Swedish government, what have they done to support the development of cash alternatives? Yeah, yeah. So advanced in infrastructure, right? They want to be the prominent example of making sure that they're staying ahead of, uh, of the fintech players. Fintech players right now love the fact that um, cash usage is um, on the decrease because that's where they play, right? They play in digital, they play in e-com, they play in experience. They can't play with, with cash, right? They are loving this. And Sweden, I think, saw that, you know, hey, we have an opportunity here to get ahead of this. Now, not to say that they've got it all figured out, right? Um, because there are parts of their population, especially in rural areas, where folks aren't able to um, transact digitally or transact, um, you know, with with their cards. They still need that access to cash, and the availability to go out and get it, like I mentioned before, isn't as convenient as it used to be. And there are many use cases um, in Sweden where um, they have found that, you know, folks who are unbanked or folks who um, for, you know, and there's there's some awful cases um, of domestic abuse where partners needed access to cash so they couldn't be tracked. You know, there's there's tons of cases like that where um, they're finding that there's two sides to this story. So they don't have it all completely figured out. 
But in terms of um, cash usage, they are by far um, the, the lowest that we're seeing across the globe. You mentioned about the the smaller businesses, rural areas. Um, I'm all, I've also seen that not nonprofits have had the same issues. Um, the elderly demographic has had some challenges getting on board with it as well. Yeah, they have right, and um, not unlike probably my grandma and my grandpa, probably still have some cash stuffed under their mattress. Right, that's not going to change. And in the minds of a lot of people, cash represents stability. Um, especially when we are in an economic environment like we are now with uncertainty. Um, Here in the United States, we're in an election year, um, a very um, unique election year, I should say. 2020 is unique all around. But people are are doing some strange things to protect their cash. Um, And that represents um, a stable infrastructure for them should something happen, right? Should, Should the worst happen. Well, and it's interesting that you bring that up about um, uh, politics is one thing about Sweden and Scandinavian cultures in general is that they have a trust in the government. They trust in the system. They trust in authority. Do you think that's helped with their move towards a cashless society? Yeah, I think so, right? In Denmark, I'll I'll use as an example, uh, many types of payments usually done with cash are also going electronic, um, such as, you know, think about the church collection boxes and the street performers. Um, In Denmark, those are now accepting mobile payments. Uh, So what are the key takeaways from Sweden and their intentional phasing out of cash? What can we learn? You know, I think we need to learn a lot about what they've done from an infrastructure perspective. Um, I think we need to learn about how they have addressed uh, security concerns. We need to learn from what their government has done um, or what they haven't done. Because like I said, it's this is not there are two sides um, to the story over there, those who believe and those who don't. Um, And other countries are transforming quickly as well. But I think that what our financial institutions and our merchant um, structure here need to take away from that is, you know, we all need to come together to really to think uh, very methodically and uh, prescriptive about this, because the end goal is the same for everyone. And that's to enable um, a seamless and now more hygienic commerce experience whether it be over your phone, um, over the internet, um, or in person um, at, a, at, a, at a physical merchant. So I think we all need to think about that, but there's, there's lots of infrastructure um, considerations as well as security considerations. But we also need to keep in mind that cash still has a role in our society and think about those specific use cases that I mentioned before um, where cash is a necessity. I'm not a believer that cash should go away completely, right? I think it I think it needs to continue to play a role. And we're never going to be, I think, in that um, you know, ubiquitous state where everyone is offer, you know, operating off of the same infrastructure um, to be able to support a, a truly cashless society, nor do I think we should be. Sweden's experience suggests we may be in a state of limbo for a while longer somewhere between needing cash and wanting to use less and less of it. All of that puts financial institutions in a difficult position. So what can they do to attract new generations of customers while holding on to those who, in a post-COVID world, still want the sense of security that comes with holding hard cash? So you talked about, you know, you you still think that there's a place for cash and that it helps. It does help 
uh, that feeling of safety and security. So regarding the impact of COVID, what are some of the concerns surrounding bank liquidity? Yeah, so um, interesting question, right? So one of the reasons why we rely heavily on cash is is liquidity is really essential um, for our consumers to remain confident in the entire financial system, right? And, you know, thinking back and following the the global financial crisis, uh, banks, you know, buffers have become much more robust. But, you know, liquidity may soon dwindle as banks start to introduce a number of measures to prop up, you know, their corporate clients as well as the economy, um, which includes emergency funding uh, for repo markets, you know, debt restructure, um, new credit lines, huge credit drawdowns and much more. Um, So, you know, while a viral pandemic is conducive to the establishment of cashless societies, you know, the pressure on banks really is not. Um, if I have a, if I think that my bank is about to go belly up, I'm going to go get my cash out, right? Um, and here, here it goes under the mattress again. So, um, right. So I run on the banks. Yeah, right. Um, so it's it's liquidity is essential for us to main, remain confident in the entire system. Which financial institutions will be most impacted by a cashless society, for better or worse? Yeah, yeah. So um, those who had not already invested in. Um, digital infrastructures within their walls. So think about um, digital onboarding capabilities. So when COVID began um, and the branch infrastructure basically shut down, if your financial institution did not offer you the ability to interact with them digitally, either through um, a website or through your mobile app, then they were severely hurting. And you think about the financial institutions who did not have the capability built to onboard new clients during that time, um, clients who needed um, you know, to establish a checking account. If you didn't have that digital capability, you were, you were losing, right? So those financial institutions who already had contactless methods of payment out in the market were ahead of the game. Now, everyone regardless of your infrastructure, saw a decline in transaction activity for a period of time, right? Both credit and debit. What we're seeing right now is um, credit is starting to creep back up just a bit. Commercial um, is still negative, right? People aren't traveling for work right now. Um, They're not buying airline tickets, staying in hotels. Um, So, you know, travel and expenses down. The interesting um, shift that we're seeing now is we're seeing um, debit um, spend is starting to cannibalize credit spend. And the reasons behind that is is the public only wants to spend what they know they have right now. So a debit card is drawing the funds right out of you know your checking account. Why is credit you're building up a balance? There's been a shift in behavior towards, I don't want to build up that balance because I don't know what my future looks like. So I'm only going to spend what I know I have in my account. So financial institutions who have guided their cardholders and their consumers along the way to help them understand the ways in which they can pay, the ways in which they can interact with them to understand balance activity or to understand what, you know, funding looks like in their accounts have done really well for themselves. And uh, you may have already answered some of this, but what do consumers and users expect from incumbent retail and commercial banks? So I think that they expect the experience, 
right? They expect the, um, you know, and Amazon is a great example, right? Um, from the dangerous buy it now button or just the ease of, of navigating through the application. Um, the, we expect all of those things in a digital experience from our financial institutions. Now, I'm not saying that each financial institution needs to go out and be Amazon. We can't do that, right? But what we can do is take a look at all the various different touch points that uh, we have with our consumers, bring that together, integrate the experience for them, make it simple for them to interact with you when they need customer service, right? Think about digital ways in which you can um, interact with them, but also keep in mind that you need to rethink the way and the feel of your branch experience as well. So this is a time where everything has been on the table in terms of reevaluating. And I think that um, this is really brought, brought to the forefront for them, the need to focus on the true cardholder experience, which I could not be happier about. Uh, are there any implications for other types of financial institutions, like investment banks, brokerage firms, mortgages? You named it, right? Um, a lot of them are in the same boat, um, you know, and and some of them, um, some of the brokerage firms and the investment banks, and and are are far ahead of um, where the traditional um, consumer commercial banks have been. Um, the the investment banks and the brokerage firms have had to have a um, digital presence for a number of years, right? Shares need to be transacted back and forth, right? That's not a physical transfer, right? So that infrastructure has been in place. But again, um, there are still pieces of that um, that can be improved upon. Um, and I would throw mortgage and insurance companies in that mix as well. So the, the biggest piece I think of what um, everyone is learning is that um, not only are we do we need to think about the implications to our cardholders being able to digitally transact, but think about all of the back op office operations. Um, and I'll use these mortgage and insurance companies and investment banks as an example, back office operations that maybe were paper-based or maybe functioned off of um, you know ACH transfers. When you weren't able to go in and actually write those physical checks to your suppliers or you, you know, weren't able to get in to make so, those actual transfers because your branches were shut down, that brought to light for them the need to digitize your back office operations as well. So we're seeing a ton of that um, take place right now for the better, right? It was eventually going to happen, but this has just expedited the change, um, which I think is really just going to um, bring a lot of efficiency to their operations, which is going to transfer again into that better customer experience. Right. Do financial institutions need to better inform consumers about cash alternatives? Is it their job? Oh, it's everyone's job. It's everyone's job. And I was sharing the other day, um, I was chatting on a panel um, with some other folks from the industry, and I said, you know, we are pushing, pushing, pushing our financial institutions towards um, getting contactless cards in the hands of their cardholders. Um, we should also be pushing education, right? How to use it, what to look out for. I said, but on the other side of the coin, the merchants need to step up as well. They need to place signage at their locations that tell the consumer that, you know what? I accept contactless payments. It's the simple little logo, right? Place it there, place a sign there. I've had to ask several times when I've went um, in to transact at, you know, even um, a larger merchant here, do you, do you accept Apple Pay? 
can I pay with my watch? And sometimes they look at me like I'm crazy. And other times they're like, oh yeah, well, you, you, you absolutely can. I'm like, well, why don't you tell me that? Why do I have to ask? Right? Just, just invest in the time to let me know how I can pay. We'll get there, right? It's not a hard thing to fix. So, but it's collaboration. Um, it's everyone working together um, alongside, you know, our fintech partners, right? Um, we're going to compete and it's going to drive innovation. So as we as we wrap up our conversation, um, you, you've, you've touched on this a little bit, and I know you don't necessarily have a crystal ball, but would you say this is the death of cash? Not just yet. I think we're going to see it begin to be displaced, if I can say that. Use, use the displaced word, that D word, instead of the, the, the death word. Um, I, th- I think we're moving closer, right? I think we are going to find ways in which it's uh, more hygienic, it's quicker, it's more efficient to pay with a digital device or a contactless card. Um, but I think in uh, many use cases, uh, cash will be here for a while, um, at least in the United States. So, um, but you know what? Change is inevitable. But really how we adapt and evolve is really going to define our future. So, um, and, and more importantly, how quickly we pivot to meet the cardholders' needs and really build around the experiences that they value and use um, is going to define our success. So I know we've, we've got a lot yet to get through here, but I think as long as we apply what we've learned, we listen, we educate, uh, we speak in terms of experience, um, that resiliency will prepare us uh, for what, whatever that next new normal uh, brings us. The next new normal. Yeah. Well, it has been lovely speaking with you today, and um, I will be thinking about you as we move towards less cash. Thank you for having me. Melissa Kopp is the Director of Business Development for FIS. That's it for today's episode of Financial Futures. Join us again next time when Melissa will be back to talk about designing the user experiences that will bring us into the future of payments.